Gregor, welcome to the new school. Thank you. Greg, you are a, a poet, and we might even say a, a poet of, uh, in the title of one of your uh, books, of Poetry as Survival. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about some of the uh, places that has taken you as a poet. But I'd like to uh, ask if you could begin by reading a, a prose poem of yours called A Litany. A litany. I remember him falling beside me, the dark stain already seeping across his parka hood. I remember screaming and running the half mile to our house. I remember hiding in my room. I remember that it was hard to breathe and that I kept the door shut in terror that someone would enter. I remember pressing my knuckles into my eyes. I remember looking out the window once at where an ambulance had backed up over the lawn to the front door. I remember someone hung from a tree near the barn, the deer we'd killed just before I shot my brother. I remember toward evening someone came with soup I slurped it down, unable to look up. In the bowl, among the vegetable chunks, pale shapes of the alphabet bobbed at random or lay in the shallow spoon. So, this event... Uh the shooting and death of your brother was really the formative source of your work as a poet. I think that's true. I think, I think the disturbing thing is that it's a formative source as a negation. That is a good part of the story that uh, that 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 meaning appears as a possibility in my life first as a kind of complete absolute challenge to meaning the fact that my brother died the fact that i was responsible for it now this negation as you describe it that's the source but in your work what becomes clear and i, I found your work profoundly useful to me personally and the work both that I do with myself and the work that we've done for over 25 years with cancer patients, there is the trauma which leaves us, as you say, in that space of negation. And then there is the, the recovery, which is the active reshaping of that negation uh, into, in your case, lyric poetry. Absolutely. Uh, the amazing thing is that challenges to meaning uncover uh, 
uh, I think, what are the deepest resources of the human spirit uh, to affirm, to reshape, to um, uh, reaccept the world, to reimagine it, to affirm being. Those are pretty amazing uh, resources, and often it's it's trauma, which is which is the most uh, destructive thing that can happen to a self. I think uh, it, it's often well, it's, it's sometimes trauma that allows that affirmation to come into being. I want to ask you. I think I have this right, but I'm not sure. In reading your your beautiful book, Poetry as Survival. It seems to me, if I have it right, that you associate the negation of trauma when it makes the turn toward creative potential to imagine something different from the self that was erased by the trauma. You associate that with Keats's concept of, of negative, is it negative capacity or negative capability? Negative capability. Of negative capability, which Keats saw above all in Shakespeare's capacity to leave himself and to place himself imaginatively in all the characters that Shakespeare created. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. That's one of the great um, imaginings that Keats had about about what was possible with uh, the human imagination and the human affirmative spirit. Uh, he was. And, and it did. It involved a, a loss of self. Uh, that was uh, um, uh, this giving up of self in order to assume other selves uh, or to to reshape the self. And you talk about how every culture has different ways of dealing with uh, great loss and trauma, either individual loss or trauma or societal loss that really represents millions of individual losses. Uh, and one of those approaches is, is, uh, is lyric poetry. Uh, but you mean lyric poetry in an expansive sense because you include in lyric poetry, for example, popular music. Yeah, I think the first thing that I want to do, especially as a poet, as a teacher, is to abolish the notion of poetry as an elite art, uh, or that there's a kind of hierarchy of poetry that you go from, you know, popular song and so on and so forth up towards some um, uh, some uh, high art, some perfected uh, elite cultural event called the great poem. I think that's all nonsense. I think, in fact, it's it's a kind of dangerous nonsense to me with my perspective on poetry. Because I think that, that poetry and song, the listening to it in order to be sustained, the making up of songs and poems, it's a human birthright. It's, it's given to every human being in the world. And the idea that poetry is a, uh, an elite art form only for educated or sensitive people is, I think, a, a, a tragic uh, misunderstanding of its deepest purpose that makes any sense. And yet you are a practitioner of the elite art form. I am a practitioner of the art form. Uh -huh. <laughs> but my goal is, is uh, uh, every time the art form or the poem succeeds, it's because it reaches out to, to mm -hmm. people, and people respond to it. 
because of the connection, not because of the uh, the um, not because of the elite n- nature of it. What is what's confusing is this: um, poetry, by definition, and the, the definition varies from culture to culture. Poetry is always in that given culture the most organized, patterned. Uh, form of language that that culture can conceptualize. Now, the reason that it is so ordered and uh, patterned isn't to keep people out. It's because that order and patterning has to be strong so that it can handle all the inner chaos and suffering and trauma and sorrow and passion or experience of war or something, that the individual brings to the poem, the stronger the structure, the more disorder it can hold in a kind of dynamic tension. So it's not patterned in order to leave people out. It's patterned in order to make them feel safe. Uh, and And it's patterned in order to reassure them. Let's return to another poem about your brother called Gathering the Bones Together. Would you read that for us? Begins with a dedication and an epigraph. Uh, it's, a, it's a poem in, in seven parts, and uh, some of them have titles. The epigraph is for Peter Orr. When all the rooms of the house fill with smoke, it's not enough to say an angel is sleeping on the chimney. One, a night in the barn. The deer carcass hangs from a rafter. Wrapped in blankets, a boy keeps watch from a pile of loose hay. Then he sleeps and dreams about a death that is coming. Inside him, there are small bones scattered in a field among burdocks and dead grass. He will spend his life walking there, gathering the bones together. Pigeons rustle in the eaves. At his feet, the German shepherd snaps its jaws in its sleep. Two, a father and his four sons run down a slope toward a deer they just killed. The father and two sons carry rifles. They laugh, jostle, and chatter together. A gun goes off, and the youngest brother falls to the ground. A boy with a rifle stands beside him, screaming. I crouch in the corner of my room, staring into the glass well of my hands. Far down, I see him drowning in air. Outside, Leaves shaped like mouths make a black pool under a tree. Nails glide there 
little deaf swans. Four, smoke. Something has covered the chimney and the whole house fills with smoke. 